0: Add a little flavor to your kitchen with 985 products. 985 products delivers various flavors that hits the taste buds just right, making you smile and wanting a tad bit more. Their products are created with a touch of bayou and a dash of culture. The 985 sauce is the food lover's choice for flavor and spice. Or add a dash of the 985 Cajun allspice on your red beans and rice, gumbo, chicken, or soup, and you can fall in love all over again. In addition to their signature sauce and seasoning, wind down with some of their vintage wines like Kerry's Merlot and Kerry's Sauvignon. Join Kerry's Wine Club for 195 per year. A membership with Kerry's Wine Club includes 5 bottles per year, Kerry's Wine Club merch, invitations to wine sampling events, exclusive updates, and a 10% discount on all purchases. When you purchase from 985 products, use the code Huddle all caps, all one word, for a 10% discount on any of their select products. Visit 985products.com. That is the number, 985products.com. And again, receive 10% off on your purchase with the code Huddle. all caps, all one word. That is 985products.com. You're listening to the HOTARD HUDDLE podcast, presented by me, Michael HOTARD. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bringing in, welcome to another episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Joining me on today's episode is my good friend, Mary Claire Mannard, who I'm super excited to have, um, which if if we're friends on Facebook, if you've seen me, or you follow Hotar Huddle on Facebook, you may have seen uh, me post uh, some things about Cluey Consumer recently. That is because I've done some guest blogging for the site. Um, But Mary Claire is in the process of launching uh, what you would call a consumer-based education app. Um, so we're going to dive into that, talk a little bit about what sparked that idea and where it's going from here as they just officially launched the, the first version of the app. And as this app grows, there's going to be more updates. Um, but really cool concept. I'm super excited to get with her. But before we do that, let's hear a message from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Cheers for Ears. No Disney trip or Disney theme party is complete without your very own character customized Mickey ears. That's right. Any theme you want made right into your Mickey ears or Mickey hat. They're festive, fun, and affordable. For my family's next Disney trip, I purchased our very own Mike and Sully themed hats for my son and I. We absolutely love them and will use them for our trips here on out. Get your very own custom ears and let them make your dreams come true so you can look great and live your happily ever after in good fashion for your next trip. Receive 10% off if you let them know Hotard Huddle referred you. That's Cheers for Ears. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at Cheers for Ears. Visit the information section on the episode or HotardHuddle.com for more information about their social pages and email. Again, Cheers for Ears. Receive 10% off your purchase when you let them know Hotard Huddle referred you. So bring some added magic to your next Disney trip with cheers for ears. So again, joining me is Mary Claire Mannard. Uh, Mary Claire, first and foremost, welcome to the podcast and I'm super excited to have you on and talk some uh, cluey consumer with you. Yeah,
1: thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's, First of all, it's been a pleasure to get to work with you a bit on Cluey itself, um, but awesome to also get to be a part of Hotard Huddle because I've been a fan for for years now. So I'm very excited, fangirling out right now, to actually be on the (laughs) the podcast.
0: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. You know, we kind of connected, just to kind of give a little backstory, um, through a mutual friend. And, uh, you know, it, it was really within the last couple of months you had mentioned that you had... Followed a lot more so on the political spectrum, which is where you and I kind of connected. You know, you're you and I have a lot of the same views. And even when we don't, you know, it's always a good conversation. Um, So I appreciate you following first and foremost. And I'm super excited to be part of uh, Cluey as well, uh, because as I told you, when you had first mentioned it to me, I think that's a bomb idea. Just because I think you and I share that same affinity for the lack of, or um, the 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 plague, I guess you will, of misinformation that's out there. You know, so many people are ill informed about so many things, and one of those things is the products we buy. So um, let's start diving in. When did the idea of cluey uh, consumer come to your mind and you know in a nutshell what is cluey consumer
1: yeah absolutely well you know first and foremost in a nutshell um cluey is an app and, and our slogan is informed and conscious consumerism so our whole mission and purpose is to bring transparency to the impact of everyday consumer purchases so whether it's you know the, the fried chicken that you buy from popeyes or kfc or Uh, the hairspray you buy at the drugstore to uh, the washer and dryer machine you buy for your home. Every day, consumers, you know, spend a ton of money, and and ultimately, this makes up a $70 billion annual spending industry for for the United States. And when you consider the fact that um, so much of of what we spend our money on, we, we oftentimes, you know, don't know exactly where that dollar goes. Of course, it goes to buying the product and then that product being in our lives. But then, know what happens to our dollar after after we spend it um and oftentimes you know there's amazing companies out there really amazing companies and i and i truly do believe that companies are are trying to do the best that they can do by you know both the social impact environmental impact and 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 any other type of impact but at the end of the day of course companies are are there to make money and, and they're to make turn a profit and so um you know ultimately Sometimes these companies have a little bit of outdated infrastructures, outdated practices, and what Cluey does is it helps consumers see where some of those outdated practices and infrastructures may be as it relates to their impacts as a consumer, and it allows them to change their purchasing decision to maybe a different brand um, if it doesn't align with their values. So the whole purpose of Cluey is to help consumers align their dollars more with their values and that's certainly a growing trend i think with our generation you know the millennials and younger generations as well um where we're just craving for everything we do including what we spend our money on to mean a little bit more um and and that's something that you know i'm I'm excited to help drive forward for for both our generation and, and future generations
0: absolutely and you know um i you know being part of cluey to a very small degree one of the things that I was fortunate enough to get to explore was the beta test for the app, and um, I can speak for it. and In this regard, it's very user friendly, and I love that about it. I think that was the first thing that I told you, um, because like like myself, you and I thrive on the constructive criticism, the feedback. We always want to hear what others think about the stuff we're putting out there, and there wasn't a whole lot of drawback to. The the beta test that I had seen and kind of dove into, you know, it's very well organized. If you're going out to eat, you know, um, one of the things that I just kind of went through, uh, one of the small basic parts was there's a dining section. And in that dining section, let's say you go to Applebee's, to Chili's, to Chick-fil-A. You can find out more about where these companies are spending their political dollars and it gives you essentially a percentage base, um, as far as a 60, 40 split, a 50, 50 split to show exactly where they're aligning politically. Um, and then, you know, of course, one of the things that I had asked you about was the environmental side, uh, because that's obviously becoming a growing, um, concern for a lot of people. So I, you know, I have a good friend of mine who, um, is, Uh, big as far as the environment goes he's very well versed that's one of the things i think that sparks his biggest interest politically um so having all these avenues to sort of decide uh is super important so um you know whenever you were designing this app how did you narrow it down to make it so user-friendly yeah
1: no great question i mean You touched on a couple things there. So, Cluey, at the end of the day, you want to think about three Ps, okay? Those are the three impacts that we're going to show on this app. And those three Ps are political, people, and planet, And, um, you know, we started with the political piece because that data is already publicly available. It's federally federally regulated by the Federal Election Commission, which is the United States uh, independent agency that regulates finance, uh, campaign finance laws in the U.S. And so that was a a very easy part of the app to build. So we built that first. Um, And also, of course, you know, it was pretty timely with a (laughs) pretty intense (laughs) and upcoming election. So. That was also, you know, played into that part of the decision to start with the political piece first. And and here's the thing about the political piece is that, you know, you can be on any side of the political spectrum and still use this app. This app is not saying, oh, only buy from this company because they support candidate, Democratic candidates or Republican candidates or what have you. Um, you can use this app regardless of what your political beliefs are, because it shows you a breakdown of their corporate past spending and their, um, individual contributions from large donors. So usually that's like C-suite executives, like the CEO or company leadership. Um, and ironically, you know, or I don't know if this is ironic at all. I mean, I think it's probably pretty obvious. But 2020, the federal election cycle in 2020 is nearing 11 billion dollars in fundraising um, for for the campaigns that have occurred federally, at the state level, at the local levels. That is a historic record um, for political funding in, in all of American history. I mean, we have never raised this much money for campaigns before. So anytime you get a text message, uh, like a robo text from, you know, Biden's campaign or Trump's campaign, or anytime you get an email or all that stuff, that stuff is being funded. Um, you know, They need staffers to send those emails. They need staffers to send those text messages. They need the technology to allow all of that to happen. All of that gets funded, and corporate contributions actually make up a big part of that funding. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that. So every time we spend a dollar on you know, whatever deodorant product we buy or hairspray product we buy or ice cream product we buy, we could be supporting companies that then could be using their corporate PAC contributions to support candidates that we may or may not like. So for me, uh, you know, with 2020 being such an eye-opening year in so many ways, that was certainly one thing that didn't sit well with me, at least on a, like it being an unknowing thing for me as a consumer. So I wanted to become more knowledgeable at that of that. Whether I agreed with whatever brands I was buying and their political support or not, I at least wanted to know when I bought a brand or when I bought a product. So that's why I decided to start with the political piece. And, you know, like you said, it's user-friendly. It's just very straightforward. It's like, Hey, they raised, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or $2 million. And 60% of that have gone to Democratic candidates, 40% to Republican candidates. The other two pieces of the app, People and Planet, as I mentioned, the other two Ps of the three Ps, those are going to be coming much later on. Uh, We're still very early stage startup, but those will actually come out through an aggregation of industry ratings, um, so it'll be almost like a credit score for the company on their uh, impact, both environmentally and socially. So those will those are some things that are coming down the pipeline. They're not available yet. The people in Planet Pieces, but decided to start with the political piece. Decided to make it super user friendly and obviously, you know, very timely with the upcoming elections.
0: Absolutely, and you know, with um, with the app because that was obviously like I had alluded to. One of the first things I mentioned was okay, so. When do we start implementing, uh, you know, uh, the planet? Which I think that's very catchy in in and of itself. The three piece, um, you know, with planet, people, and uh, um, politics. Because you know, with twenty twenty, you're mentioning the election and it being very timely. I, I you know, I, let me just ask this. I guess, kind of politically speaking, so. I can kind of lay out the timeline of when I essentially started diving down the rabbit hole of politics. Um, And you and I have very similar backgrounds um, in terms of what we studied in school. Um, Obviously, you did a lot more with your degree as you, I believe you had told me previously, you interned at CNN, correct?
1: Yeah, I interned there and I actually worked there uh, full time for two years after graduating from school.
0: Okay, so... um, You know, we both went went to school for essentially journalism. And I think, uh, you know, sometime in college, I started getting into politics because really until I would say if I had to put a year on it, I'd say 2010. I mean, honestly, when it came to politics, I just didn't give a shit. I was I was the person who was like, oh, yeah, politicians are all crooked, you know, fuck them all. And that was that, you know, I didn't register to vote, which I recently wrote the, the column about when I registered and why I registered. Um, but I guess for you, when did you start getting into the political side of things? You know, was it something that was always there for you in high school or did it sort of spark as you got into college? Uh,
1: yeah, no, great question. Uh, for me, it was something that was certainly, I think, uh, a passion And an interest very early on. I was very involved in a lot of student government initiatives in both high school and college. um, And also, I interned in between uh, high school and college. I actually interned with our, with the Jefferson Parish president uh, for a couple weeks in the summer, and just to get kind of get a taste for what the local politics was like. And uh, but that was really amazing. That was a pretty amazing experience. I really got to see you know, the ins and outs of the everyday of Jefferson Parish. And I I know a lot of your listeners are local to the Louisiana area. So um, it was pretty cool to see, you know, we went to meetings with the Army Corps of Engineers to talk about the levy updates that were happening with Katrina. We went and uh, met with the Causeway Commission. Uh, You know, we went to the West Bank and, and went to the courthouse in the West Bank. And we just did so many things all around Jefferson Parish. And, it made me realize how much happens at the local government level. And I I recognize how important local government was, even though it's probably the least interesting for most people. Every time somebody thinks about politics, they think about, you know, the big race, the presidential race. Um, But local politics matter in in some ways a lot more to, to everybody's everyday life because our our state laws and our local laws oftentimes have bigger impacts on our day to day. So that's kind of where I got started with, with an interest, and in it was in high school. And then um, I was actually so I was actually a political science major um, in college, but I went into journalism after uh, graduating. So so that was a bit of a transition. But but yeah, I, I ultimately kind of got just sick of it. If I'm if I'm going to be honest, well, after working at CNN for a couple years, I was just I was just sick of, like, the constant just influx of media and politics and just – I just needed a break. So I, I decided to completely switch gears, and I moved into investment research for for about four years and um, learned about a lot of different industries and business. So my transition really took a, took a turn towards business. And then once I left that, I, I found the best of both worlds by combining, you know, how business and – Government and politics and our everyday lives of impacts and both people and planet intersect uh, with Cluey, and so it, it was a it was a nice transition to kind of be able to combine all of my interests from the last, I guess, decade and a half now. But um, but yeah, I I hear you. I think a lot of people are really starting to get drained about politics. Um, I think people realize it's more important now than ever um, about, you know, voting and getting involved and getting engaged as um, active citizens. But at the same time, I think what people are tired about is people are tired about, like, I'm just going to say it, I think people are tired about social media's involvement in politics. I think people are tired about hearing everybody else run their mouth about an opinion. And don't get me wrong, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving an opinion or stating your opinion. But I think a lot of times people like to run their mouth more than they like to actually act in in line with what they actually believe in or what they're actually saying. And I think the great thing about clue is it gives you an opportunity to allow your actions to speak louder than your words. Um, you know, if you're really gonna put an opinion out there, if you're really gonna care for one side's views over another, then act like that every day in your life, you know, buy in that Buy in that manner um go about your life in every other way don't just make it your facebook status because you want to get a couple of high fives from your echo chamber i mean i'm just sick of it i'm sick of seeing the echo chamber the tribalism and certainly most sick of the misinformation which i think you and i and, and the disinformation which i think you and i share uh probably the biggest pet peeve on and, and i know we've discussed that a bit but my my goal is to like let's turn down the like the heat of everyone just throwing out their opinions without like giving too much action behind it let's actually put action behind our words and let's actually put real truthful and factual information behind our actions so that's kind of the evolution of of kind of my my view of the whole big behemoth of the topic
0: (laughs) well and you know talking about political opinions on social media before I kind of dive into my next question and the simplest way you described Chloe to me when we first talked about it I think the biggest problem with the disinformation and misinformation is we aren't even talking about the opinions of these people we're talking about the opinions they heard from the talking heads they like and they're just like oh that person's correct because it aligns with how i feel and You know we can we can go on for days about that but yeah i mean it's a huge problem right now and um you know like we both just agree on it's it's something you and i just connect on a on a different level with it's something we enjoy discussing um but with cluey so um you know obviously there are companies you know exactly where they align You know Facebook is going to lean hard left. You know Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby, they lean harder to the right. Um, But I think the best way you described this app to me, and in the simplest terms, let's say you're at the grocery store and you need toilet paper. Well, now, what the hell? My Alexa's going off behind me. I don't know what the hell that's about, but whatever. We're just gonna run through it. So anyway, you're at it's the... the deep state, it's listening to you. <laughs> right, they're listening to us right now. This is how deep this goes. It goes beyond, beyond the, QAnon.
1: Yeah, let's invite some QAnon conspiracy theorists on the podcast, see what their thoughts are, and why Alexa is getting involved. But yeah, I mean, listen, everything's listening. So
0: someone apparently hit my Alexa button to disrupt the podcast, but um, but no. So again, the way you described it, let's say you're at the grocery store, you're looking at toilet paper to buy, yeah. uh, and in the pandemic, that's obviously super important with the uh, great toilet paper shortage of March, but. <laughs> The way you said it was like, okay, let's say you're in Target and you you have, let's say Target brand Charmin and yeah, I can't think of another brand at the moment, but let's say you have three brands there. You go on to this app, you essentially look up toilet paper, you look up those three and you can make an informed decision. Now, of course, not everyone is going to walk in and, you know, if you decide to look up every single brand, obviously, um... Yet you turn an hour trip to groceries into probably four hours. But in a nutshell, it's, it's a great, great thing to have by your side. You know, one of the things that I feel like I can use it for is, okay, cool, let me just sit down. I'm on my phone at night anyway. Let me open up this app. Let me just start digging through who's spending what money. And like I said earlier, when you sent the beta for the app out, You know, I I went to all the restaurants and I'm looking and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like Applebee's is about I I think they were like 60, 64 percent Democratic. Um, And then I went and looked at Chili's and I believe they were closer to the middle. But it just gives you that 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 added information and like you said it's not anything saying hey buy this or buy this it's literally just look up the damn product and you can see for yourself so i think that's that's very refreshing because and this kind of dives into another rabbit hole um but with social media obviously you know one of the biggest talking points and i i think you had uh watched the social dilemma and this was a conversation we had about Social media's algorithm—it caters okay. to what you want to believe. Whereas something like this app, it doesn't cater to anything. It's literally just all the information out there, and you can make the decision for yourself. If there's a company that's killing the planet, essentially leans, let's say, far right, whatever the case may be, and you don't want to support that, or let's say it leans far left and it supports Planned Parenthood, you have that information at your fingertips.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the thing, is that for me, personally, why I felt the need to start this app was because I care a lot about a lot of different causes. And, you know, when I hear about this company donating to this terrible thing or or funding this terrible person or whatever, you know, or this other company doing this terrible business practice, you know, I'm so, I'm just as much a victim to... Receiving slanted information as anyone else, okay, and so I see that information and then I immediately react to a headline. I'm like, oh, I can't. I'm never going to buy from this company ever again, or or I have to start buying from this company because they're doing all this cool stuff. But the thing is, is that all of that is so either like that can be extremely misleading and extremely nuanced, or just completely misleading from a marketing and PR perspective. Um, so, so on the nuance and misleading piece, I, I'd like to call it, there's like two areas uh, that I think consumers can get pulled into the trap of. One is the Wizard of Oz phenomenon, you know, where there's the man behind the curtain, but everybody believes in the wizard, but they have, you know, they, they have no idea that there's actually the man behind the curtain pulling all the strings. So, oftentimes, what happens with a lot of these companies, you might think a brand is amazing, or, you know, a company is amazing, but you have no idea that that company is actually owned by a parent company, and sometimes that company is owned by an even larger parent company. And because of that, I guess, uh, like, degrees of separation from the actual brand or product you buy, it becomes like the man behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. You actually have no idea who's pulling the strings. So Cluey helps to make the parent-company relationships more transparent. So a really good example, you're talking about toilet paper. Quilted Northern, very you know well-known toilet paper brand. Their parent company, they're a brand of Georgia Pacific. Georgia Pacific is a somewhat relatively known company name, but I don't know if everybody knows that Georgia Pacific is actually owned by Coke Industries. Coke Industries owned by the Coke Brothers, who are notoriously, you know, Republican donors, Republican supporters. So if you were to think about Colton Northern as a pretty much inconspicuous purchase, and every day, like, not a big deal. Um, And then you were like, oh, wow, I had no idea that I'm buying a brand that's actually owned by the Koch brothers, which I think come up in the headlines all the time. So that's really like man behind the curtains, wizard of Oz phenomenon. The second the second phenomenon that I think a lot of consumers get gypped by, and I certainly became a victim of this quite a bit is the concept of greenwashing Um, and it it doesn't greenwashing is a terminology that's been coming a lot coming up a lot with environmental activists and basically what it is and it's not just with environmental stuff but it can happen with a lot of things It got a lot of flack from companies posting the black squares after black lives matter this year but greenwashing is basically where a PR or marketing department puts out a lot of amazing information and PR behind what a company's doing but in reality that company's practices aren't like as stellar as what they're saying that they are. They might be talking to the top but they're not walking the walk. Um, so, so that's a really important thing too and I think oftentimes you have to consider like if a company's marketing themselves as super green or organic or whatever like they might actually be owned by a parent company that's not practicing any of those larger practices in any way whatsoever and actually they're um, becoming quite destructive towards you know climate change or the environment or whatever. So, the point is is I think that there's those two phenomenons that consumers can kind of get tricked by, often and and hopefully Cluey is, look we're not trying to convince you to do something one way or another. We're just putting the information out there and we're letting you decide what to do with it. But we're putting it out there in a way that's not yesing you. It's not man behind the curtain. It's it's not brainwashing. It's none of that. So. That's the goal—is is just to put it out there and let people decide. And the hope is that you know people start to think more critically on their own individually, versus just taking what they hear at face value because it aligns with whatever their personal political views are. You know, um, and I think that happens too often to, in, in this day and age. We're often Taught what to think, but we're not taught how to think. And hopefully, whether it's Cluey or other amazing companies that are also very behind this uh, informed and conscious consumerism movement, um, I, I think trying to help consumers get back to how to think about their purchases versus what to think is really the goal.
0: Now, I guess for you, what was uh, what was a big company for you? Um, you know, I know you. Uh, mentioned the toilet paper brand being eventually uh, a company by the Koch brothers, um, which ironically enough, I didn't know who they were until a couple of years ago, watching the newsroom, which is the show I often reference in my blog. Um, yeah. because I love that. It kind of pulled the veil out on a lot of things in the way stories were covered. It's interesting because the show got, you know, it got killed by like 2012, 2013 ish. Um, but the show itself talked uh, about the Koch brothers it you know it dove into the tea party it dove into all of the real news stories from when I was back in college just uh, just beginning to dive really into the political sphere and inform myself as much as I could um, on on certain political topics and you know, watching that back again in 2017 or 2016, whenever it was, I first watched it, it was just interesting seeing that five, four or five years later. Um, so I guess for you, you know, what was, what was a big, uh, product or company that you now will completely stay away from after doing your own research and just sort of digging what, uh, that company has been doing or been funding?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, well, first, I think it's great that you mentioned the newsroom. Um, interestingly enough, one of my former bosses at CNN was a consultant for HBO on that show um, because they wanted the they wanted the feel of the show to be as realistic as possible. Now, granted, having been someone who actually worked in a newsroom. I would say it was pretty accurate, but the drama was a little overplayed. So. Of course, that's, that's, that's how it always is.
0: Made for TV. It. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> but still, very. It, it was. It was cool to know that. Um, you know, I knew someone who, who had a little role to play in, in putting that uh, to air. So that was pretty cool. That's dope. Um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I I'm still. I don't want to. I don't want to write off one company. Uh, you know, right away here and now because what I truly think, what I truly think that there's no company out there that's like, I mean, maybe there are, maybe there's just some terrible companies out there, but I don't think that there's a company out there that's like, you know what, we really just want to screw over, like, uh, our, like, migrant workers or we just really want to screw over the planet or we just really want to do this or that. Like, I don't think companies go out there with malintent. But I think the thing is is that they don't, they're they not incentivized to change the practices that they've had in place for decades um, because it doesn't affect their bottom line. So what Cluey does is people can like and dislike companies based on their practices, whether political practices, uh, environmental practices, social practices, what have you. And by uh, making that data available to the companies, they can see like, oh, wow, we're losing thousands of customers a week because of this you know, political contribution we've been making, or because of this environmental practice we've been making. So all of a sudden, now these companies are incentivized, because now their bottom line is being affected. They're losing customers, and it kind of flips the concept of the free market on its head, right? The free market is all about, you know, capitalism is all about, um, you know, cut corners, or, or do, you know, not cut corners, excuse me, but do whatever you got to do to make whatever you're going to make at the lowest cost to get the highest profit. Okay, but what happens when the consumer and the customer is more in control? You know, it's the concept of landlords and, ren- and renters. Um, landlords oftentimes have all the power. They can deny renters. They can evict renters, etc. But what happens if somebody created a Yelp for landlords, and all of a sudden the, the landlords are being the ones evaluated before a renter chooses to stay in that property or not? It's the same concept. I'm not. I'm. I'm not anti-capitalist in the slightest. I'm all for it. But let's actually put it. Put the power in the hands of everybody, of the stakeholders, of the consumer, of the customer. So, you know, I, I hate to beat around the bush and not really answer your question directly. Um, but, but the goal is is that I, I don't think there's a bad company necessarily out there. There's certainly plenty that I will personally probably not purchase from for my own personal political views and whatnot over the next few years but the goal is to get them to change their practices over time based on you know the free market of consumers speaking up
0: interesting so and you know um it's interesting you you kind of bring that up because one of the things that i kind of thought about while you were uh talking about that was it's when you talk about big businesses um Walmart, amazon, whatever it may be uh versus let's say local businesses obviously local yeah you know what your local businesses are typically doing, kind of what their practices are, especially if you grow up in a small town um like like I did um whereas the big businesses you know one of the things that one of my old um college professors Every, every chance he got he took a jab at walmart he was like no i don't use walmart i shop local you know i go to wherever and it was it was funny we used to just dog him for it you know just calling him hipster whatever we could to push his buttons that day and he took it like a champ of course one of my favorite professors but um you know it it's You don't think about those things. And, you know, when you talk about Cluey Consumer and what it's designed to be, and like we've beaten the drum on, you know, just educated consumerism. But one of the things that uh, I'll share a quick anecdote about a local business that I often used for uh, my wife. Um, whenever it was anniversary, whenever it was Christmas, birthday, whatever, I used to go to this particular store near my, my old house when I was living in Louisiana and they did something during the pandemic. And I was just like, yeah, no, like I'm done with you. So, um, I'm not going to give the name of the business because similar to you, I'm not going to out anybody. Um, but Uh, essentially what they did when they had the great toilet paper shortage of March, um, this business started promoting toilet paper to sell other products. Like basically, yeah, buy this and you'll get a free roll of toilet paper and stuff like that. So I'm just thinking to myself, are you fucking kidding me? you, You go to these stores, you're seeing what's happening and now you're just gonna pander to fear of of people in the community and use it to sell your products for toilet paper. And when you talk about, uh, you know, free market capitalism, it's not that I'm against it, but I certainly won't use your business now. And um, and that's
1: completely within your right, you know. And and I hate hearing those stories because what that reminds me of. I can't help but think, I mean, for, for you and I and anyone in our generation growing up in the New Orleans area, you know, Katrina was an extremely formative experience in our lives. And for me, I mean, there are so many terrible stories that came out of Katrina for for locals in that area, more than anybody on a national level will ever hear or know about. Um, One in particular that always stuck out in my mind, though, because I remember it being on the radio as as I was in the car with my parents and we were evacuating to Houston. And, you know, we were in these long, um, what is it called, when they have the lanes going both ways in the same direction? Contraflow, yeah, exactly. And I just remember it was just like such a crazy experience. But there was a story on the radio about how a lot of gas stations between Louisiana and Texas were engaging in price gouging. Um, And, I mean, this was during one of the biggest tragedies in American history. And I just remember thinking, like, that is absolutely terrible. You know, whether local businesses or even maybe they were some some of them larger businesses, but then you kind of see the same thing happen on a larger scale with the toilet paper and, you know, with some of these, uh, you you saw that a lot with some of these people who were uh, sellers on Amazon doing that at the beginning of the pandemic with the toilet paper, and you just really hate to see that. You hate to see... You hate to see the worst of humanity, and and ultimately you'd hope that capitalism—the whole point of it, the whole point of the free market—is to spur innovation and is to spur competition, so that way you get a better product for consumers, you get a better product, uh, you know, you know, you get a better product for everybody. Um, but it's interesting that you bring up kind of like corporate. Uh, corporate concentration because there is a really interesting piece I read about in the New York Times a couple days ago, and it was about trust busting. Um, you know, there's, there's these new cases that are coming up that the Department of Justice had brought forward before Google um, because they're starting to say that, like, Google is a monopoly in certain ways. But what's really interesting is the New York Times did this piece, and they compared the fact that Back in the 90s, in the late 90s, the economy was performing way better than it has been lately. You know, incomes and net worth were rising up and down the spectrum. Um, the gains in recent years have stopped for everybody but the mega rich. Mm-hmm. And the only connection between those two trends of the worsening economy for the average American and, you um, And the more like concentration of corporate corporate concentration, that there's fewer smaller businesses, there's fewer local businesses. The other big thing that was a trend in the '90s that's no longer the case, is uh, small businesses, those with fewer than 100 workers, still employed more Americans combined than companies with at least 1,000 employees employers. Uh, And that's different today. So now you have more Americans are employed by large companies today and the economy is worse for your average American than it was in the 90s when more Americans were employed by smaller companies so that's just a really interesting trend you know you can say it correlates or it doesn't but the point is is that this concentration in these huge mega corporate organizations it shows that like once they monopolize or whatever you know i can't use the word monopolize cuz that would be you know that wouldn't be Right, but once they get too concentrated, they become... They they start to ruin the pot. There's no need for them to compete anymore. For example, just to get my app on the App Store and Apple, Apple's the only App Store. <laughs> Apple owns the only App Store for an Apple product. There's no other App Store. So they took all the time. They took their they took their sweet time to get my app approved. And I was like, I need this approved today. But they had no incentive to you know make it happen quickly or fast. And that, you know, not to give Apple too hard of a time. But the point is, is that they have no competition. Do you get what I'm saying? So. So I think the cost of Walmart and you know, don't shop at Walmart and all that stuff, like that's fine. People can make those choices. But it's it's not wrong either, because by supporting these large corporations, you know, we take away the productivity for for the average American over time. We take away the quality of the product, we take away the quality of the working experience and everything else. So So that was a bit of a ramble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's but. all good. But no, one of the things I kinda wonder too is um, you know, you referenced that article. Did it have anything mentioning? Um, well, actually, you had said it did that. You know, people were were better off financially um, when they were working for more local businesses, and I think that plays into a big reason. You know, bringing up Walmart is one of the loopholes that Walmart finds. Is they do everything they can to get their employees just below full-time hours. So they don't have to pay an insurmountable amount in, um, benefits and things like that. It keeps them, those people on the, on the fringe. And it also means that they're making hourly pay that's below living standard, which of course sucks. And I think that's why there's a lot of beef with, uh, big corporations like that. So I think that's an interesting correlation that, uh, you brought up. Um, but kind of diving back a little bit, uh, when we start talking about free market capitalism, you know, one of the things I always find interesting about um, some of the things I hear from people when you start talking about free market capitalism, you know, I, you know this about me. I'm a huge fan of Disney and the NFL. Yeah. To okay. <laughs> okay. So, to... Yeah disney I, yeah, i'm all right on the nfl but definitely disney <laughs> <laughs> but disney's a, a perfect example they own everything you know i well, and of course i say everything loosely they don't actually own everything but it's a huge huge monopoly um the nfl is another example of a big monopoly there's a, they haven't seen a uh, competing football league in quite some time and the ones that have tried to launch essentially died um and died very quickly, but what you know when you start talking about the the consumers and free market, one of the things I always bring up was is the NFL, and one of the things I'm taking a very close look at this year is the the ratings, um, because the ratings are what drive the needle with the NFL. If people are watching, then now they can jack up their ad price. If people aren't watching, they may not be able to jack that up as much, and when all the protesting started in back in 2016 with Colin Kaepernick, you saw the ratings sort of free fall. Then once the NFL stepped in and said, look, there's no more kneeling. If you want to protest, you can protest by staying in the locker room, out of sight, out of mind. What happened? The ratings go up. Now we're in 2020, which, and this is why I'm kind of following it, but it's interesting because it's an election year pandemic it's competing against sports it doesn't normally compete against uh, but now that's starting to even out with of course the nBA wrapping up but the ratings have been down slightly but not to the same magnitude that they were in 2017 uh, when people really tuned out i mean across the board the NFL rating viewership I believe dropped by twenty percent i don't it has dropped slightly from last year but not close to twenty percent at least last time i I looked at the updates for for the ratings but um and what's interesting about that is now the nfl has taken an even broader stance uh, not just the players we're talking league wide uh in terms of black lives matter but kind of getting to the point here is you have so many people that complain about what the nfl is doing and again Just don't watch. The same way I wouldn't go to a bakery if they were to reject a gay couple to make a cake for them. I wouldn't use that business. If you don't like what's happening with the NFL, that's fine. You have every right to bitch. But don't keep bitching and then watching and using that product if you hate it that much. And I think that's what people get confused about, uh, you know, free market capitalism. You have every right to do that. but. don't sit here and continue to complain about it if you're not going to act on it.
1: Right. Well, and, and I would say, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be the better uh, expert between the two of us on anything sports related, Michael,
0: because <laughs> uh,
1: you've you've been in the space for a while. But um, you know, I mean. I think it would also be hard to say that the correlation of the ratings that dropped a couple years ago with all the kneeling. I don't know that those two things were, you know, that that was necessarily a hundred percent because of the kneeling. It could have been because of a lot of other things. I think like a lot of people were complaining about. I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> I don't. I can't even. I can't even try attempt to make a, a point on this topic because I'm just certainly not an expert on it. But my point is, is that like I, I think it's important that we don't 100% correlate the dropped ratings to just the kneeling. I mean, maybe I certainly agree that that might have had something to do with it. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I don't know if that was, like, 100% the reason why ratings had dropped. The other thing to note, too, though, is that the NFL is, is a forward-thinking organization, at least right now, or at least I, I, I think that that's the bet that they're hedging, right? In the Absolutely. same way that Nike made that bet that they hedged when they decided to bring Colin Kaepernick on for that advertising campaign. And, you know, you saw all of those, uh, like, those old old white guys, for for lack of a better descriptive term, burning their Nike shoes, and it was hilarious because all the Nike shoes that they were burning were those like Nike shoes that I remember seeing my dad wear in, like, the 80s, <laughs> like, <laughs> clearly these guys hadn't gone and been, been a repeat customer of Nike in, like, a couple decades, so, like not... Nike wasn't, Nike wasn't really losing a customer base, you know, and Nike was hedging a bet because they knew their customer base was growing in a younger, and more progressive direction, and I think the NFL is hedging a very similar bet right now, and I think, uh, and, and again, that's, that is, Free market capitalism. Uh, companies, you know, some people could say, "Oh, the NFL lost my business. Whatever. Fine. Don't watch it. Like you said, don't, don't. You know, bitch and moan about it." Um, but here's the thing: is that like companies aren't just making decisions for maximizing profits today. They're making decisions to maximize. There are financial outcomes for the long term as well, and oftentimes having that long term view means hedging a bet on a much future, a much more futuristic perspective, um, which I think I think the NFL is doing. Um, you know, so so to their credit uh, on that piece. Um, now, who knows? Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe I don't know. Consumer sentiment will digress to a, a to a less tolerant time. I I hope that's not the case. I hope we only continue to be more tolerant in our thinking. Um, But, but, you know, who knows? Maybe that's the case. Maybe that will be a poor bet made on behalf behalf of the NFL and their leadership. But I can guarantee you, the individuals who run these organizations are not dumb individuals. They are smart people, and they are making these very difficult business calls uh, on, on the future of who their consumer base, who they think their consumer base is. And so that's all that Cluey is trying to do as an app. It's trying to help those organizations see the future of their consumer base. Now, that consumer base could sway any which way. But the point is is that we're at least putting the power in the hands of the consumer to create a collective movement so that that transaction is more transparent between where the consumer base is shifting and then how those companies can then strategically change their business practices to match future consumer preferences.
0: Um, one, one of the things I want to touch on that you talked a little bit about is the forward thinking. Um, and ironically enough, the two businesses that I brought up with the nfl and of course disney these are two of the biggest shining examples another shining example of forward thinking is the nba um and you talked about nike and you know nike actually took uh, they brought home more once they made colin kaepernick uh, an official sponsor for their brand um because like you said they were pandering to who buys their products. I, I can't remember the exact figure on it, but I I believe it was over. You
1: could say pandering, you could say pandering, or you could say that they were just transitioning to match their new consumer base. Yeah,
0: uh, transitioning is probably a better word. But um, <laughs> they so I I I remember reading the article when it came out. Um, I believe Forbes did it, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But they talked about what this was going to do for Nike once they announced that they were fully backing Kaepernick. Their sales ultimately went up, and part of that's because, I and I believe it was over 60% of their base, is is black. So now you're talking about just giving your primary customer more fuel to buy your products. Um, and with the NFL, it's, it's interesting that um, – you know, we talk about this and kind of the stance they're taking now, because let's not pretend that the NFL isn't owned by a bunch of old white guys. You know, right. that's that's essentially who's running this business. But they're they're doing what they can to try to get with the times. You know, one of the things that I'll bring up um, in terms of Disney that me personally, uh, I was not thrilled about, but I understood to a certain degree um, was them changing Splash Mountain to get rid of the Song of the South theme. Um they're going to, you know, reimagine it as Princess and the Frog, which is something they have actually been talking about prior to um 2020 and uh the boom of Black Lives Matter, if you will. Um you, you know, reimagining Splash Mountain, it's an older ride, it's been there for decades, but they they they've been talking about reimagining and they finally pulled the trigger on it. and I think this conversation has been in the works I think it's something like since 2013 or 2012. So, um naturally a lot of the younger base got excited because it's a more recognizable ride. Now, of course, for someone who's been going to Disney since I was 15 regularly, um of course I'm not thrilled about the idea of changing it, but again, I understand the reasoning why. And it's part of the reason Disney stays so far ahead of the freaking curve and why they can continue to pump out Um, All these new things, you know, Marvel's another example. Oh, what what happened with Batman? People went apeshit for the Christopher Nolan trilogy, so what are we going to do? Yeah, screw Christopher Nolan, screw what they did with Batman. Let's just double down and revamp the entire Marvel universe. And now, I mean, let's not pretend that superheroes aren't one of the hottest pop culture things in 2020.
1: Right. No, yeah, I mean, listen, I I know you, I know what you're talking about, Disney. I think for a lot of people who are lifelong Disney lovers, there's a lot that comes with the nostalgia of Disney. One hundred
0: percent.
1: You know, I remember I can't remember what it was, but I remember there was some ride or something that changed um, when I was younger. Oh, you know, okay, one that's that I was bummed left was the Great Movie Ride. Yes, in, uh, yes. You know, now it's becoming some like Mickey and Minnie train ride or something like that, which also sounds cool. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing: like Disney's just making strategic business moves as a business. They're being strategic and they're they're making business moves. You know, think back to any other company like that that did well in that area and making strategic, you know, good strategic business moves, and companies that made poor strategic business moves. Think about Netflix and Blockbuster mm-hmm. competitors. Competitors back in the 90s and early 2000s and blockbuster was way bigger of a deal than netflix ever was at that time netflix pivoted netflix made the right strategic business moves and they turned shifted from subscription-based mail-in dvds to streaming and now they're one of the biggest companies out there you know they're they're part of uh, they're part of Fang, basically. It's 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 crazy when you think about it from that perspective. When you think about how Netflix shows pivot, Amazon, Amazon was a book company, a book company. It's wild to think about that. And guess what? They had all these warehouses because they stored all these books in all these warehouses. And they realized, hey, you know, books are probably you know a little bit passe. Uh, what can we do with what we have? What are what assets we have at our disposal? They had a crap ton of warehouses, so they're like, you know, let's start to do distribution for products, everyday products. Now Amazon is the, you know, richest, one of the richest companies in the world. So, uh, so, so here's the thing is Disney, Amazon, Netflix, all these examples, Nike, the NFL, whatever, you know, they're making strategic business moves. And I think, I, I, I personally think that, The concept of how to do well in business is changing. Uh, Milton Friedman wrote this very, very, uh, you know, kind of defining essay in, like, the, like, Reagan-era economics that was about, that said the only purpose of a business is to focus on making profits. That's how a business should succeed, is just focusing on making profits. And today is a, I think, I can't, I think it was a 50-year, yeah, 50 years since he wrote that essay. It was a famous essay. It basically... Was a historically shaping essay of American economics. Uh, people are criticizing his his work. I mean, everyone. Howard Schultz is criticizing his work. Benioff is criticizing his work because they're saying it's a myopic view, nearsighted, and outdated. And that if companies really want to succeed, they're not just going to focus on maximizing profits for their shareholders. They're going to focus on maximizing impact for all of their stakeholders. That means their customers. That means their workers. That means the communities that they operate in. That means the planet that they operate on. um, You know, all of their stakeholders. And by maximizing impact across the board for all of their stakeholders, it will actually correlate with higher financial outcomes as well. So when Disney Disney changes Song of the South-themed rides like Slash Mountain, they are prioritizing, you know, all of their stakeholders in that moment. They're prioritizing the customers who feel like that's a myopic, outdated, nearsighted ride, and they're changing it and transitioning it in a strategic business move to maximize their long-term profits. Um, so so I think a lot of these companies are starting to get with the times, and I think it's hard for a lot of consumers, you know, especially those consumers maybe who are in older generations who have a lot of that nostalgia to get on board, um, but I think these younger generations are coming up. And they have higher disposable income, and they're going to be the consumers that are really going to be making the changes um, for, the, for the next few decades to come. And I think it's time that we pass the mic and listen to those younger generations and allow them to shift the conversation accordingly and allow those businesses to shift their business practices accordingly as well.
0: Well, you know, one of the companies that I initially think of and I know you're not into professional wrestling, obviously, so <laughs> once again I'm probably gonna be speaking maybe over your head a little bit here. Yeah. But um, you know, talking about getting with the times, one of Uh, I mean, I I think most people are familiar with uh, WWE, used to be WWF, uh, World Wrestling Entertainment. That has been the monopoly on wrestling for decades. Um, Essentially, their only competition, WCW, got buried um, by the early 2000s, and for the last 20 or so years... They really haven't had competition. Um, There's been a couple of companies that have bursted through the scene, but nothing even remotely compares to uh, the 90s and what WCW to WWE was. Um, And now, you know, just in this last year, and I recently wrote uh, a recap, um, but AEW, which is a new company that was started by um, one of their former talents, um, Cody Rhodes, he started this company with uh, the help of Tony Khan, um, who is the son of the Jacksonville Jaguars owner, Chad Khan. So he's essentially the financial piece. Um, Tony Khan's a huge wrestling fan. Well, he gets with Cody. He gets with um, another guy, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. And essentially it's Tony and those those uh, four guys who are the stakeholders within the company and basically the the corporate team, if you will. Um, And in the last year, they they launched a weekly program. Within six months of being on television, TNT offered them an extension through, I believe, 2023 and another weekly time slot, um, which begins at some point this year, I believe. But, you know, when you talk about not adapting and... Um, I, of course, WWE is not taking a massive hit from this because it's not directly competing with their two primary shows. But they they did try to put something up against it on Wednesday nights, and they've been getting their asses kicked since the launch of AEW. Uh, I I just recently wrote this. I think they've gone head to head 42 weeks. AEW's come out ahead in the ratings 36 of those weeks, and in the 18 to 49 demographic, which is the most important demographic. AW's won all 42 weeks. So, you know, when you talk about kind of shifting, changing of the guards, not getting with the times, for the last 10 years, WWE's been getting berated on message boards on the internet by people like me who were just fed up with the predictability, with the pandering for the, the cheap short-term satisfaction. And this goes directly in line with what we're kind of talking about AW plays to the opposite of that. They want to build long-term storylines and things like that, and do all the things that old school. And I'm I'm not even gonna say old school because old school is 70s and 80s. But wrestling fans like myself who grew up with WCW and WWF competing against one another love. So um, I think that's a a great example of kind of what we're talking about here. But Um, you know, reverting back to Disney, so I don't leave you out in the cold. No, no, I mean, it was was an interesting anecdote, even though I
1: will probably still never watch wrestling, no matter what direction it
0: takes. (laughs) But getting back to Disney, you know, one of the big things that it did, uh, within the last couple of years is all their revamps with Hollywood Studios. So, you know, they tore down, um uh Catastrophe Canyon um and for the life of me I can't even remember the name of the actual ride uh Backlot Tours um Yeah, oh, yeah. oh that was a good one. Yeah, like yeah. another great ride that they tore down. Um and yeah. I was pretty bummed about that and then they also got rid of Lights Motor Action which was their stunt How show with the cars. Um but they did that in order to not only build Toy Story Land, but they built Galaxy's Edge and capitalized on The freaking mega fanhood of the Star Wars uh, revamp, basically. And now, uh, you know, Hollywood Studios during the pandemic has been one of their busiest parks since reopening. um, Because of, you know, Galaxy's Edge opening. And then, of course, you again still have Toy Story Land. So they went from being the smallest park and probably the least to do. I mean, you going to Disney just like uh, my wife and I go... Hollywood Studios was one we always did the major rides. Did everything we could. Got the hell out of there, and we'd go to Magic Kingdom, Epcot, or wherever. Right. Um, But now people are spending all day at this park because of all the things they added. So again, you're taking away classic rides that people love, but you're building towards a better future and the long-term satisfaction.
1: Right. And I, you know, I think that's. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that you know we should we we shouldn't put. Disney on the highest pedestal, even though I, I would certainly love to because I really do love Disney a lot, <laughs> um, just like you do. But, you know, I know I know we're we're probably we're not the average American in that sense. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have different feelings and thoughts on Disney, but I think Disney really does an interestingly good job with this because they recognize that they have such following because of nostalgia and i am a super nostalgic person and i am not here um i don't want to sound like i'm an ageist and i don't want to sound like i'm like screw all the traditions like out with the old and with the new i'm not saying that at all look i love nostalgia my family we have so many great traditions i i i tap into so many amazing uh, memories of, of, you know, my past and growing up and everything. Um, I, I, I love it. But the thing is, is that I think we all have to take the time, whether it's on a social issue or environmental issue or whatever it is in our lives, um, we have to critically assess what we've been doing in the past and we have to say, okay, what what are some of the amazing things we can take with us from the past and, and keep doing and maybe improve upon? And what are some things that we can just leave behind and allow more room in our lives for new things and I think Disney does an amazing job with that because look at their streaming platform Disney plus you can go on Disney plus and you can watch like some of the old Mickey Mouse cartoons that Walt Disney himself originally you know pinned like you can see the Steamboat Willie and some of these really amazing nostalgic pieces you can watch Noms and brune sticks uh, and sound of music and the old Mary Poppins and all this amazing stuff and so I think that's what what Disney does a great job that maybe if we all Want to have a little bit of Disney in us, and we can take this as a life lesson. Is let's we're not saying get rid of the things that make us happy from the past. Let's keep those things in the lives, but let's critically assess the parts that we keep that maybe don't have don't need to take up as much of a center stage anymore, and and can move aside to allow room for cooler things and newer things. Um, you know, because nobody wants something that's just completely outdated. Um, so, so yeah, I agree. I think Disney's a great uh, a great corporate model in a lot of ways i you know i'm sure like every company that has i'm sure plenty to work on still but um but i do think they're doing a lot of things right
0: now with um i guess before we wrap up as we're coming to a close here you know let's let's talk about those those three p's again so politics um people and <laughs> uh planet so you know what's uh, if you can think off the top of your head, what's a company, let's take each of those P's and talk about one company that falls on either side of the line here. So let's start with the political side, you know, Um, what's a company that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know that they lean very far right. And then let's talk about one that maybe leans further to the left.
1: Sure. Well, we talked a little bit about, um, talked a little bit about, uh, toilet paper. So let's just stick with that for, for simplicity's (laughs) sake. So, you know, a couple major toilet paper brands, and I just have the app up right now. Um, AngelSoft, Charmin, Cottonell, Pulted Northern, Scott, and Seventh Generation. And for a lot of people listening, they might not be familiar with Seventh Generation, but it brands itself as kind of this eco-friendly brand. Um, all right, so going through it. AngelSoft, owned by Georgia Pacific, owned by Coke Industries. So again, we, we talked about how Georgia Pacific is a company owned by Coke Industries. AngelSoft, 98% of their uh wow, they have donated a lot actually. A ninety nine percent of their PAC contributions, which has totaled to five point two million in the last three federal election cycles, and ninety eight percent of their individual contributions, which has totaled four point seven million in the last three election cycles, have gone towards Uh, Republican candidates. So that's going to be your Angel Sauce and your Quilted Northerns of the world if you you buy one of those products. Um, Charmin, owned by Procter & Gamble, uh, definitely a company that I would say plays the field a little bit more and and splits their their contributions a little bit more evenly. Um, Procter & Gamble doesn't raise anywhere near as much money as Coke Industries or Georgia Pacific owned by Coke Industries does. Uh, Procter & Gamble has raised a little over half a million in both the individual contributions and the PAC contributions and they're somewhat, somewhat split, uh, somewhat split across Democratic and Republican contributions. Nell uh, owned by Kimberly Clark. They don't have any PAC contributions, but their individual employee contributions totaling $10,000 is 77% Democratic. Um, and then I think we said Scott, also owned by Kimberly Clark. So again, multiple brands owned by the same parent company. And then lastly, Seventh Generation, which is owned by Unilever. And again, this is the brand that, that promotes itself as more of an eco-friendly brand. Um, You know, Unilever doesn't have any PAC contributions in the last three federal election cycles, but they have 197,000 donated by individual contributions, 96 of which percent were Democratic. So, uh, you know, just in the toilet paper, main, uh, you know, major household brand names alone, you have a variety. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think I have one, unfortunately, that donates nothing. I mean, that's the other thing. There's a third perspective you can take on the political front when it comes to buying your brands you can say hey i don't want to buy from companies that donate to the political process at all i don't think it's a healthy thing to do i don't i don't want corporate money and corporate dollars influencing my politicians so maybe you know what maybe that's your sign to go out and find a small startup toilet paper company and start buying from them instead so uh, that kind of covers the political, the p- political piece, and then uh, you know, not to disappoint, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to not go too deep into the people and planet piece right now because we're still developing that intellectual property piece of our company out right now. But I will give an example with Amazon because they're such a large company. Um, you know, Amazon has a lot of really ambitious climate goals. They're I think they're trying to go climate neutral by 2030. Uh, at least they've been advertising that. Um, and when you consider how much shipping they do for them to go climate neutral by twenty thirty, that's a that's a pretty big goal for our planet. Uh, at the same time, though, Amazon, especially in twenty twenty, I mean the 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 veil has completely been torn off uh, about some really poor employee practices, Absolutely. practices employees. You know, firing employees who protested uh, bad COVID. Um, uh, COVID, I guess. Conditions early on, um, employees they've had they have been uh, actually listed by OSHA, which is a U.S. government agency, as one of the dangerous places to work in America because they've experienced a lot of employee deaths in their warehouses by poor worker conditions. So you know, I mean, that's you you can read our blog to learn a little bit more about that. But the point is, is Amazon's a really interesting company in the sense that they're a perfect example of how no company is 100% good or 100% bad. Everything is nuanced. And that's what we're trying to tell our consumers is you're not going to get a binary right or wrong answer from this app. You have to decide what matters most to you in terms of your values. And then you have to prioritize what decisions you're going to make as a consumer. So hopefully that can be a a helpful final word to anyone looking to use the app. And uh, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate the time of having me on. It's been a Very interesting conversation i know i've certainly rambled a little bit on a few different topics but it's been it's been fascinating and uh and great and a great time to chat with you
0: michael absolutely and i appreciate you coming on and again in a nutshell i mean you can find all this information that mary claire was just talking about uh cluey consumer look for it in the app store um and download it and you know you mentioned the blog which we really didn't touch on uh too too much but um Aside from myself, she has a couple of other uh, guest writers that do some pieces for her. Um, I don't know how many blog posts the total's gotten up to. I know I've done two, and I know uh, a couple other people have done several themselves. So there's some good content in there, some good things to kind of follow through and skim through. But, you know, in a nutshell, be an educated consumer, and you can do that with Cluey Consumers. So, again, thank you for coming on, and as always, honor the huddle. This episode is sponsored by Cheers for Ears. No Disney trip or disney theme party is complete without your very own character-customized Mickey ears. That's right, any theme you want made right into your Mickey ears or Mickey hat. They're festive, fun, and affordable. For my family's next Disney trip, I purchased our very own Mike and Sully themed hats for my son and I. We absolutely love them and will use them for our trips here on out. Get your very own custom ears and let them make your dreams come true so you can look great and live your happily ever after in good fashion for your next trip. Receive 10% off if you let them know Hotard Huddle referred you. That's cheers for ears. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at Cheers for Ears. Visit the information section on the episode or HotardHuddle.com for more information about their social pages and email. Again, Cheers for Ears. Receive 10% off your purchase when you let them know Hotard Huddle referred you. So bring some added magic to your next Disney trip with Cheers for Ears. Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at HotardHuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at HotardHuddle. Add a little flavor to your kitchen with 985 Products. 985 Products delivers various flavors that hits the taste buds just right, making you smile and wanting a tad bit more. Their products are created with a touch of bayou and a dash of culture. The 985 sauce is the food lover's choice for flavor and spice. Or add a dash of the 985 Cajun Allspice on your red beans and rice, gumbo, chicken or soup, and you can fall in love all over again. In addition to their signature sauce and seasoning, wind down with some of their vintage wines like Kerry's Merlot and Kerry's Sauvignon. Join Kerry's Wine Club for $1.95 per year. A membership with Kerry's Wine Club includes five bottles per year, Kerry's Wine Club merch, invitations to wine sampling events, exclusive updates, and a 10% discount on all purchases. When you purchase from 985 products, use the code HOTARDHUTTLE, all caps, all one word, for a 10% discount on any of their select products. Visit 985products.com. That is the number 985products.com. And again, Receive 10% off on your purchase with the code Huddle, all caps, all one word. That is 985products.com.